stocks are trying to rebound on the back of some good economic data this week with the economy and the jobs. Uh, earnings are kind of mixed, a little bit all over the board. Uh, you know, some earnings, some companies are coming out uh, decent, some are missing. Uh, we had positive GDP growth. We've uh, we've got a good strong jobs market, and then we uh, just got the labor report today um, that less people were filing for unemployment than expected. So. Uh, generally, that's going to be good news, but at the same token, uh, it's bad news. Good news is bad news these days, and bad news is good news. And we'll take a look at all that in just a second. But right now, uh, about an hour and a half left to close. NASDAQ is uh, pretty flat, S&P flat, Dow Jones flat. Um, and all from being down a little bit this morning in the pre-markets to up a little bit uh, later in the morning to back around flat today. And again, the key is to watch the momentum into the close. Uh, that's where you can really engage the investor sentiment uh, is by uh, you know the price action into the close. Um, but basically the jobs are for July, 2023. Here's where the jobs are for July, 2023 of one chart. Um, the total jumped to 100,000 when including education jobs. Healthcare added 87,100. So there was 187,000 jobs created um, for, uh, you know, for the recent report that came out. Of course, healthcare, construction, financial services, things like that. So, you know, that's good that 187,000 were created, but the projections were 200,000. So it came in softer than projected. Um, the uh, unemployment claims were on par well, with that report last week. This is the, you know, job creation here. Uh, so, uh, you know, a little softer than expected. So in one sense, you know, that is a potentially a good sign for the Fed in terms of a narrative to not hike, because that's the big debate. Is the Fed going to hike at the next meeting? Uh, right now, with the inflation coming down, although we are going to see a little bit of a spike um, in August numbers in September before the next Fed meeting. The Fed does not have a meeting in August, but they will. Jerome Powell will be speaking at Jackson Hole next week. And uh, we'll get a lot of color from that speech in terms of what he's thinking about policy, data dependent, live meeting, you know, all that kind of stuff that we've seen. But the way it looks right now with the jobs data, with inflation, uh, disinflation happening, you know, the Fed has a very good case not to hike. Several Fed, uh, Fed speakers that have been out here in the last week have said uh, that they're going to pause or that they are recommending a pause in September, that they don't see any need uh, to hike in September. Uh, but we have more economic data to come out again. August inflation is going to be an issue because food's gone up, uh, energy's gone up with oil and gas and things like that. So you might see a little bit of a uh, you know spike there. So it'll be interesting to see how the Fed reacts to that. And we'll get, again, we'll get a lot of color at the Jackson Hole meeting. We're going to have a lot of Fed speakers after that going into the September meeting. So we'll have a really good indication as they do like to telegraph what they're going to do. They don't like to surprise the markets. Uh, and of course, inflation still remains the hot topic. And then, then, you know, again, the debate is, can inflation get below 3%? Will the Fed be able to bring it below 3%? But the one thing that's evident is they're not going to be cutting rates anytime soon. With the economy is uh, humming along as good as it is, you know, with positive growth, with, you know, prices still elevated above the 2%, you know, target range, which anything under three is within target range, closer to two and a half, I think would be acceptable for the Fed that they say 2%, but that's a relative number. Um, you know, so they, you know, the economy is humming along good. So there is no base case for them to reduce rates. But the one thing I want to look at, uh, I put a tweet, I put a tw uh, tweet out the other day with X and Twitter and tweet, you know, what is it called now? 
Uh, and I said, what does this chart tell you? And this was the federal funds um, historical chart going back to 1955. And you can see where we're at right now uh, with a five. Now it's up at five and a quarter. The last time we were there was in 2006, where the Fed funds rate hit 5.25%. Prior to that, we see this area here where Fed rates hit, you know, 5.9, almost 6%. Uh, into that five and a half percent range, which is where we're headed. That was 95 uh, time frame through early 2000. And then it peaked at 6.52 in 2000 before the dot-com bust, then rode off. And then right here, it started spiking 0405. That was the peak of the housing market back in 0405 before the great financial crisis. Uh, rates started going up. And once it hit that 5.25 level, that was it. Markets couldn't take it housing market imploded and it rolled over. So the real question that I was looking at is we're approaching that level now. Is that going to create some sort of a problem? It's not going to be in housing. The housing market is very strong. There's limited inventory, record low uh, rates that most homeowners have. 60% um, of, the, of the mortgages out there are below. Uh, I, believe it's, I believe it's 4% and a good number of them are below 3%. Um, forty percent of the houses are owned free and clear. There's a lot of cash purchases, so the housing market, in terms of the borrowers, the mortgages, and things like that, is very healthy. In terms of the housing market itself, it's very unhealthy because prices are still up. Uh, there's no inventory. Rates are now uh, in the sevens, so that could slow things down for a little bit and allow some inventory to build. But people that have two and three percent mortgages, there's just no incentive for them to sell. Uh, because every seller becomes a buyer and there's nothing to buy out there. So uh, not only do they not want to get out of that rate and then go pay more for a house somewhere, uh, you know, it's going to cost them twice as much as their existing house in terms of the mortgage, but there's nothing to choose from, even if they did decide to do that. But anyways, I put that tweet out. What does this chart tell you? And that's what it told me. What I'm looking at is the Fed funds rate just hit the same level as August 2006, coming off an aggressive Fed hiking cycle preceding the 2009 GFC. It took two years to play out. Policy has long and variable lags. We hear that from Powell all the time. Will this time be different? So that's what we're looking at. Is this time going to be different? Now, as far as markets go, wrestling with that 786 level. So these are Fibonacci retracements, and you can see all along the way, price action reacts to these Fibonacci levels because these are these are where the um, you know automated trading and algorithmic trading uh, calculations are made uh, for stop loss uh, action and you know things like that. So these are important levels here that the trading machines put in there when price does this, do that. Um, so you can see that it wrestles with these levels. What you're looking for for continuation is support above the 786 to continue on. Right now, price has not found support above it on any of the indexes yet. Um, in fact, rejected perfectly on the S&P, um, somewhat rejecting on the NASDAQ and the Dow breaking back down below it again and rejecting. So you could see continuation down and start playing with that 702. What does that look like in terms of an you know overall um, drawdown? Some people are calling for a 10% drawdown in the stock market, but back to the 702 level would be a 3% on the Dow. The 618 would be a 5%. Seven, uh, the five, that 0.5 retracement, which is a normal retracement after a, a nice little run like we've had would be 7, 8% down. 10% will put you down to 382. So a lot of some people are calling for a three to five percent retracement uh, or uh, correction. Some people are calling for a ten percent correction. Uh, all we know right now is we've got about a two to three percent correction on all the indexes, and uh, markets are trying to finish positive for today. But we'll see if they will 
pretty much all across the board, everything wrestling with that 786 and the SPY, the Qs, the NASDAQ and all that. Uh, VIX is trying to have a little spike here. Um, last time VIX spiked to this level was July 2023. We had a little bit of a pullback there. It spiked all the way up to 17. But up in these levels here, May uh, of 2023 were our last you know, high levels of the VIX up in the 20s. And then, of course, that March area where VIX hit the 30s. And then the October levels where the VIX hit the you know mid-30s to 40s. So we're still a, a long way away from that. But if you get a VIX event where it spikes up into the 30s to 40s, that's where you're talking October lows once again. Dixie kind of pulling back today um, on, uh, you know, debt downgrades and things like that. Um, and we have the two-year and the 10-year kind of pulling back a little bit. Uh, but looking, you know, holding support right here on these previous levels on the 10-year, possibly looking for continuation there on the debt downgrade. We've got a mixed... Um, you know, point of view on the debt downgrade. Was it warranted? Was it not warranted? You know, what they're looking at is the levels of debt that we're experiencing in the economy right now. And we'll talk about that in a second. Is that sustainable? Is it unsustainable? Um, let's take a look at gold here. Gold having, having a little bit of a bounce after a pullback. Same thing with silver. Uh, the metals have taken a little bit of a hit here lately uh, with everything that's going on. And then of course, Bitcoin just kind of sailing along right here, still in distribution. So, you know, in this rising channel, which many times, as we've seen in the past, is broken to the downside. And if we put a Fibonacci retracement on this and we can see these levels um, from the lows to the highs of these runs, working its way to the 236, which would be a normal pullback, uh, then the 382, then the 0.5. And you can see the price points on all these levels right now, the 236 kind of intersecting with this bottom of the trend line coming in around 28,000 plus or minus, depending on when it actually hits. So we'll, that's our next thing that we're gonna be looking for is, will this trend line hold with these higher lows and will, will this be another higher low and continue on? Or will it break the ten, trend line, re, you know, reject and reverse down? And that's where you can start looking for some of these lower targets. And you can, you can see the areas of confluence, uh, you know, right through here with this area of support back in February of 2023, August of 2023, you can see these peaks here, that's around 25.2. Uh, then you start breaking below there, you've got another little level of confluence at 21. And then of course, your next stop is going to be in the 18s and then, you know, back down. So, uh, you know, this rising channel is very similar to, to this rising channel we saw, this rising channel, this one here, here you know, all the way down, just kind of stepping us down. This has been a real big one. And ideally we have the halving coming up. So I, you know, normally you would see a retracement into the halving and then price could take off from there, you know, with the four-year cycle. Uh, I've marked out those halving events. Maybe I'll do that in the next video so we can kind of take a look at that. So right now, as long as the market uh, can continue on, the economy can stay, stay healthy and the Fed doesn't get super aggressive and we don't have any events, then, you know, Bitcoin can continue to consolidate, pull back a little bit and, you know, into that having and then move on from there. And again, if you get the Bitcoin ETF approvals, I think price will real quickly get back to these previous all-time highs, potentially beyond. You're just going to have so much capital um, that is available to come into the market with all the registered investment advisors out there, the money managers. They want a spot Bitcoin ETF so they can get their clients into it. They will be highly incentivized to do it. And the funds that are filing for these ETFs will be spending a lot of money to bring their clients into the space. So there'll be a big education campaign push. 
So a lot of capital could potentially come into the space. That's when you can get the pension funds in, the life funds, you know, the real institutional players where, you know, trillions of dollars of investable capital is available to enter the space. And that's where you can start looking at some of those upward targets of the previous all-time highs to the 100,000 level uh, pretty quick. So uh, and if it gets rejected, then, you know, you might see a, a pretty quick pullback for a little while and then another consolidation and, you know, run into the normal cycles of Bitcoin. The real question is, will the having have the same network effect it's had in the past? Does it really matter in terms of uh, people rushing, wanting to try to get Bitcoin, um, you know, ahead of that having or, or into the having, um, you know, because the amount of Bitcoin that is mined is going to get cut in half? We'll just have to wait and see. Ethereum still kind of plugging along here. Same thing, putting in the higher lows. Will this trend line hold for Ethereum? Nobody knows. Uh, and then the rest of the altcoin market just kind of hanging out uh, with a potential, uh, you know, with more potential downside in the altcoin market. We've looked at that before. If we look at the total three, which is everything minus Ethereum, you still have, uh, in terms of reversion to the mean, you still have a lot of room for, for this market to fall, another 50% potentially. So, you know, that potential is on the table for a lot of the altcoins. So if that does happen, that should create some good buying opportunities. Uh, um, and in terms of, you know, what we were talking about with the debt load and everything, you know, one of the lines of thinking, there's what's called modern monetary theory, where the modern monetary theorists, this is not my uh, theory, I do not subscribe to the theory, but the thinking is, is that, you know, the government is not like a household. So it doesn't have to maintain a balance in its checkbook. It doesn't, it's not on a budget in that sense, because it's the world reserve currency. It can print enough, it can print all at once to sustain the debt, to pay the bills, and things like that. So in essence, the debt doesn't really matter because it can print to service the debt. So if I, if I um, borrowed money from you and you knew that I had a printer that could print unlimited amounts of money to pay you back that you could use around the world, you would keep lending me money. Uh, and it doesn't really matter how much I borrow, what the interest rate on that debt is, because I can just print the money. And as long as that doesn't uh, create inflation at the consumer level, then it really doesn't matter. It's a non-issue uh, because the people that we're paying the interest payments to are basically holding those dollars for trade around the world. So it's going to put price, you know, it's going to put pressure on, you know, financial assets, global uh, risk assets uh, around the world. They might park that, ultimately reinvesting into bonds and, and treasuries and things like that. Uh, and it could potentially affect, you know, trade around the world at some point, but it would take a lot because it's a huge, huge world economy. So that's the modern monetary theory is that, you know, the government doesn't have to worry about balancing the checkbook. They can print unlimited money because we're, we're the world's reserve currency. So the debt doesn't matter and the interest on the debt doesn't matter when you can just print um, to service that debt. So that is the theory. Uh, and again, it's just a theory. And as we know, theories only get you so far. So, uh, and again, that's not my opinion or my uh, perspective. It's just what it is, you know? So just kind of, you know, why the politicians, some may or may not be worried about it. So the question is, is our debt unsustainable? We're going to find out. So uh, these are the things I'm looking at. This channel is all about um, entrepreneurship, real estate investing, um, stocks, Bitcoin, crypto. These are the things we talk about on this channel. And I will see you in the next video.